Hello, and welcome to Elder Health Connection, a podcast where I gather innovators in elder health care to discuss their unique perspectives on caregiving and care receiving. My name is Caroline Morris, and I use my combined experience in biochemistry, physical therapy, health coaching, and growing up next door to my grandparents to dig deep into the complexities of aging and then draw out practical solutions that can fit into your life. I record this show from my home in Alexandria, Virginia, sometimes with the input from my dogs, Benny and Barry. Thank you for joining us today. February is one of my favorite months out of the year. Not only is it my birthday month, it's that time in winter where the sun really starts to come back in a noticeable way. And that just lifts my spirits so much and gives me a lot of hope for um, the months ahead. And here in the United States, it's also Heart Month, which is a topic near and dear to my heart. Um, So on this podcast, we will be featuring heart health related topics for the entire month of February. It's also a great time to think about your own heart health and really a foundational measure of heart health is blood pressure. So for that reason, I am sharing my signature course, how to lower your blood pressure naturally at a deeply discounted price for the month of February. So to get access to this course, you can go to carolinemorris.com. It'll be on the homepage. You can also click the link in the show notes. And I put so much love and effort into this course to bring you the best evidence around what can lower your blood pressure naturally, what the research says you can expect. So, you know, how much will each change lower your blood pressure? And I also put a lot of time and attention into guiding you through how to choose which strategies will be best for you, figure out things that you'll actually do and stick with. And then you get a live call with me as a bonus of this course as well. So head on over to carolinemorris.com. Like I said, it's on sale for the entire month of February and the price will go up come March. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Elder Health Connection. Today is part two of our series about heart health for the month of February. And today we are talking about stress. So stress is something we all experience. We'll talk about a little bit about what it is biologically, how it can impact your heart, and some of the misconceptions about stress, how it's not all fight or flight, and how sometimes asking for help can actually be dangerous. So let's get right into it and talk about the biology of stress. And in order to do that, we need to zoom out a little bit and think about what's called the autonomic nervous system. So this is the part of our body that works automatically. So we can think of the autonomic nervous system as the automatic nervous system. And it takes care of things 
in our body that we don't have to think about. So things like heart rate, blood pressure, temperature, digestion, whether we sweat or not, whether our eyes dilate or constrict, all of these things that are beyond our conscious control, thankfully, because that would be exhausting to try to regulate that all consciously. So the autonomic nervous system has two basic states. One of them is called parasympathetic drive or the parasympathetic nervous system, which has a lot to do with rest and digest is how it's normally called. But this is our resting state, our maintenance state, what we need in everyday life, what we need for health and healing. We also have the sympathetic nervous system or sympathetic drive, which is when we need to ramp our body up to address something short term that requires a lot of energy at one time, usually a stressor and what's usually and it's usually termed a fight or flight state. And a lot of what happens when we're in these different states is the movement of blood around our body. So I was floored in my college anatomy and physiology course when I learned that there's actually not enough blood in the body for each organ to function optimally all the time. So the body has to move blood around to the different organs and tissues, depending on what's needed at the time. And it does this by relaxing or constricting certain blood vessels to help shunt the blood to where it needs to go. All right. So when we are stressed, the very sweeping overview of the biochemistry of this, but there's a signal from the brain in what's called the hypothalamus, and the pituitary is also involved in this, that goes to the adrenal glands, which sit on top of the kidneys. The adrenal glands make adrenaline, also called epinephrine, and cortisol, which are both hormones that are released during the stress response. You've probably heard of them by now. And with the release of these hormones, we have some predictable effects on different tissues and organs in the body. So probably most familiar to us is our heart rate increases. So if you think about when you're nervous or stressed about something, you may feel your heart pounding or racing. Blood pressure increases. So the vessels are constricting and shunting blood in different parts of the body. We have opening of our lungs, the airways in our lungs, so that we can take in more oxygen to meet this increased demand of energy to handle the stressor. The liver starts creating more blood glucose or blood sugar from its stores. So again, mobilizing more energy to address whatever stressor is in front of us. And then our digestive system starts to slow and shut down because in a time of emergency, when we need to mobilize all our resources, we do not need energy and valuable blood flow spent digesting food because that will not immediately meet the needs of the body. Now, that's not all the tissues that are impacted by the stress response, but I think it gives us a pretty good 
overview of what types of things happen. And as you may be guessing, the system works the best, the stress response system works best when it's an acute short stressor. So if we think about a classic example of encountering a bear, we want to be very alert and mobilized and as functional athletically as we can be to get away from the bear. So we want to make sure our heart is pumping, we're taking in oxygen, we've got enough blood sugar, all of which feed our muscles so that we can get away from that dangerous situation. Now, in modern life, we're rarely running from bears and stress rarely is over after it starts. So if we think about the bear example, once the threat of the bear is gone, the stress system turns off and we go back to resting. Now, if we think about our modern life, that doesn't always happen. So I had several teaching moments today about stress response in modern times that I can share with you. Um, and you may start to see how things are a little bit different now in our, in our lives. So the first stressor I had was actually had to do with circadian rhythms. So those are our 24-hour rhythms in a day. And our body tends to be stressed if we start altering those rhythms. So I woke up about an hour and a half earlier than I normally do today. I had a busy day and was trying to jam a lot in. I actually tried to record this podcast before all of that at a time of day I'm not well suited for. And then things started falling apart very quickly. The dogs were making noise. The, my computer was dying. I was running out of time. So had to leave that. But unfortunately, that stressor didn't end once I abandoned the podcast. So I was thinking about how I was running behind, how I was off my schedule. Now I was commuting and late to get in for a meeting. I arrived to my meeting and which was a virtual meeting that I was doing from a different location and had a series of tech issues that then stressed me out quite a bit. Finally got that resolved and had a little bit of relief and then went into some typical workday stressors with deadlines, day-to-day -day irritations, things of that nature. I tracked this all on my Garmin watch like we do in our Health Insights program, and I will share my stress response with you in the show notes today. I think it's pretty interesting to see. But it also started to hit me around lunchtime, which I ate later than usual, and realized that I was in such a state that I really couldn't digest much food. So I ended up choosing foods that were easier to digest in the short term, but probably less healthy. So I don't know if you all have ever noticed it too, but it can be really hard to digest a lot of fiber, like in a salad or with raw vegetables in particular, when you're stressed. And that's because it requires energy in your digestive tract. And when you're stressed, not as much energy is being given to your digestive tract. 
So just an example of a day where stressors stack up upon each other and we start to notice the effects of it. I also looked back at my data and my resting heart rate was up and then general heart rate was up throughout the day too. I didn't check my blood pressure today, but I imagine that it would be up as well. So probably not too atypical of a day or a theme of a day for a lot of us right now. But if we think about other animals or how humans used to live, you can think of a dog or a cat. They spend almost all of the day resting or sleeping. So they're in parasympathetic drive most of the time. And then when they're active, they're very active and very alert using their sympathetic nervous system, but it's not how they live their lives. It's not their whole day. And so think about your days, how vigilant or stressed are you during the day? How much are you actually resting? And you can start to think how stress may be impacting you on a day-to-day function. Now, over time, If we stay stressed and don't get those breaks, we're not acting like our dogs and cats, we can get some downstream effects. So what I mean by that is instead of the stress response just being short-term, we can have some long-term changes. So our blood vessels can get stiffer and more rigid. Our blood pressure can increase, which is related to the blood vessels as well. Our blood lipids or the fat in our bloods can raise so we can have high cholesterol, high triglycerides. Our blood sugar, our glucose metabolism. So if you remember, our liver starts to mobilize a lot of glucose when we're stressed. Well, long term, that can lead to insulin resistance, which is part of diabetes and hyperglycemia or too much blood sugar in the blood again, related to diabetes. So we can think about if our liver is releasing sugar, but we're not using it to sprint or get away from a stressor, and it's just sitting there, that's how some of these long-term issues can develop. And then our body composition starts to change, where often we will have what's called visceral meaning around the organs or of the organs and adiposity or fat. So we actually store more fat around our organs. All of that impacts cardiovascular disease. And this is why we're talking about stress as part of heart month. So many heart health strategies are focused on moving our bodies from that sympathetic or stress state to the parasympathetic or rest state. So we can think about little ways or big ways to start signaling safety for our body. And these are some things we go over in my course, how to lower your blood pressure naturally. So if you would like some strategies, feel free to check that out in the show notes. Now the stress response is not just fight or flight, especially when it comes to women. So this is probably the most important thing I learned during the Women's Health Coach certification program that I did last year. And it has to do with what's called female affiliative behavior is one term in the research. It's also been dubbed 
tend and befriend. So we like our rhymes when it comes to stress and relax. So we've now have fight or flight, rest and digest, and now we're adding tend and befriend. So this also highlights the issues and difficulties with knowledge translation. So that's things showing up in the research and then how long it takes them to show up in practice. And there are a lot of people who say it takes about 17 years for health research to become common in health practice. And there are probably some issues with that number, but at least it gives us a, a benchmark of how long it actually takes. So this seminal article on Tend and Befriend was published in 2006. And I learned about it in either late 2020 or early 2021. So a little bit ahead of that 17 years, but still I would say is not commonly understood in practice, but it is so, so important. So the idea is that for women, especially from an evolutionary perspective, fight or flight just doesn't work when you have babies and kids around. If there's a stressor, fighting or fleeing just doesn't work when you're taking care of others. So there's this proposed model of tend and befriend as a stress response for women. And it has to do with the hormone oxytocin. So oxytocin was first discovered in relation to birth, labor, breastfeeding, attachment of mother to baby, but it's more recently been implicated in many other aspects of the body. It's also been shown to be a powerful anti-inflammatory hormone and an antioxidant. And I just will say that most research in general is done on college students. They're such a convenient group of people to study at universities. So I'm, I cannot tell you for sure how transferable this information I'm presenting to you is to people outside of that age, especially postmenopausal women. But the model presented for oxytocin in the female stress response all starts with what's called a gap in positive social relationships. So let's say that you need help, but don't have a great friend group, don't have the supportive relationship you're looking for, fill in the blank for what's relevant to you. Oxytocin's released. And you may engage in what's called an affiliative effort. So you seek out a friendship, ask for help, engage with other people. Now, if that goes well, and you have what's called a positive social contact, then your stress reduces, your sympathetic nervous system calms down, so heading more towards the rest state, and your cortisol levels lower. So again, working towards the rest state. But let's say that effort, that affiliative effort does not go well. There's a negative social contact. So either the person you're trying to befriend is not interested, you get criticized for asking for help, you get no response. However, it doesn't play out well, your stress level will actually increase at a biological level. So your sympathetic nervous system 
will ramp up, your cortisol will increase. So I think a lot of us have lived this. You probably don't have to look too far back if you are a woman at your past social efforts and relationships to think of examples of either being rejected from a friend group or asking for help and having it go poorly. And you may be thinking, you know, it would have been better if you just hadn't asked in the first place, if you hadn't put yourself out there, better just to do it yourself. You can't rely on anyone, et cetera. And there's real, you know, biological reasons for feeling this way. So I think it's relevant as we talk about caregiving and tending to others, even though for the context of this podcast, we're not talking so much about tending to offspring, but more tending to our parents, tending to our spouses, tending to other other adults needing our care. Then we can think too, if that tending relationship doesn't go well, how that can lead to more stress as well. So I know over the course of my career, when I've had patients who've been rude or ungrateful or accusatory, what have you, how much of a stressor that has been for me. And I know it's particularly hard when it's a family member who displays those behaviors when you're just trying to help. And so I bring all of this up both to just give some awareness and understanding of what's happening in women's stress responses, because it's not just fight or flight. And even if you're not a woman, I'm sure you've been around plenty who've demonstrated some of this, this type of stress response. So hopefully you'll understand them a little bit better. I bring it up also in relationship to heart health because it starts to show biologically how positive social relationships are pretty closely linked to the biology of heart health through decreasing the sympathetic nervous system, decreasing stress, but how it's not so clear cut that you just need to reach out and try to engage in social relationships, because if it doesn't go well, it can actually increase your stress, increase the sympathetic nervous system, and potentially put more stress on your heart for the duration of that amount of stress you're feeling. So these are some of the things we work through in a health coaching sense of how do I work on asking for help, finding relationships and connections that are meaningful and positive for me so that I can get some of the benefits of this social interaction without, while minimizing the risk of those negative consequences. It also ties in nicely to episode 13 with Christine Crawford, where we talked about all of the negative impacts of social isolation. So again, if if we have these repeated negative social contacts, many of us will stop trying and may isolate ourselves, and that can lead to very real health consequences, as we've discussed. All right, so some key takeaways from this episode are that 
the body has two basic states of autonomic or automatic control, our resting state and our stress state. Our stress state is very useful when it's activated for short-term stressors, especially those that require us to use our muscles and our body. It is not well-equipped to handle long-term chronic stressors where there's no relief. Our resting state is where we should be spending most of our lives. Most of our time should be in a rest state, but as a society, we're not so great at that yet. And for women, there's an additional layer to the stress response that involves social relationships and tending and befriending to others. I will link tons of resources in the show notes for you. In my course, How to Lower Your Blood Pressure Naturally, will go over some of the ways of shifting your body out of a stress state into a, a relaxed state, more focused on blood pressure. Like I said earlier, I'll also show you my stress data from today so you can see a, a real life example. And I will also link the article that goes over the female affiliative behavior, the tend and befriend response to stress. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope you've gotten as excited about this topic as I have and can understand your stress a little bit better. Now take a deep breath and enjoy the rest of your day. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and does not create a provider-patient relationship between us. If you have questions about your health, please speak to a qualified health professional. If you would like to learn more about working with me as your qualified health professional, please visit carolinemorris.com. Did you know that gratitude is good for your health? If you found value in this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a rating or review. To keep the connection going, subscribe to Elder Health Connection on your favorite podcast player to get immediate access to upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening. With love and gratitude, Caroline.